All right, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thanks so much for the opportunity to open your word and to hear from you. Um, Lord, thank you that you allow us and you invite us to experience joy. Lord, I'm a firm believer that, that Christians, people who know you and love you and follow you, uh, should, should be the happiest people on the planet. Uh, you, have, you have poured your joy and your hope and your peace in our hearts through your son Jesus, and we are forever grateful. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning that uh, your word would go out, that it would not return void. You promised that it won't, and so we trust you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would form and shape us into the people that you call us to be. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, I want uh, to call us to respond to the, the discipline of God with uh, the worship of God. I want to call us uh, to respond to the discipline of God with the worship of God. And then I want to give you three reasons why that's not crazy. All right, so I want us to respond to the discipline of God with the worship of God, and then I want to give you three reasons why that's not crazy. Uh, if you're just joining us in our series, we're walking through the Christmas story, and a few weeks ago, we started telling the story of Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Um, they were a godly couple. They were older, or up in age. Elizabeth was barren. She didn't have any children. Um, scripture says of them in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, um, these words, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So this isn't a righteous a godly, uh, older couple uh, with no children. Uh, and yet, uh, they, were, they were chosen by God in a miraculous way. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 reads, Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, uh, for he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no wine or strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, uh, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Right? So this is spectacular news. Uh, it was unbelievable news. And it was news that Zechariah um, quite honestly, did not believe. Um, and Scripture said because of his unbelief, um, God, um, God quieted him. Luke chapter 1, verse 19. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you the good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things come to pass because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Right, so let's try to capture the story. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, older couple, um, no children, 
Uh, they are told by God that they will have a child who will be a forerunner to Jesus, which simply means he's going to come before Jesus and he's going to point other people to Jesus. That's his reason for being. That is why God put him on the planet. Um, Zechariah was a godly, godly man. Right? This couple was blameless. We talked a couple weeks ago. That doesn't mean that they were perfect. It just means that they were godly. They walked with God. But Zechariah heard this news from an angel, Gabriel, and uh, he did not believe God. Which, I mean, just admittedly, I'm reading the story and I'm trying to put myself in his sandals and I'm going, I, I mean, I kind of get it. Like, that, <laughs> that doesn't happen every day. There's angel sighting, right? I mean, that's, we read that and we're going, what? That's a little weird. And so I read this story and I'm going, man, I, I mean, I guess I could understand why he would doubt or why he wouldn't believe. Um, but in his, in his unbelief, God disciplines him. And Gabriel uh, says to him, because you did not believe my words, um, you will be unable to speak until these things come to pass. In other words, until John the Baptist is born and he's named, uh, you, will not, uh, you will not talk. Right, so the thought was when the baby's born, uh, the baby is supposed to take the name of, of the father, of dad. And so everyone would have expected that the baby would be named, you know, Zechariah, a little, little junior, right? Uh, welcome Zechariah to the world. Uh, but he wasn't. Scripture talks about when John the Baptist was born, Zechariah, in obedience to God, writes on a tablet. Uh, his, his name is John. His name is John. And Scripture says that his tongue was loosed and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Scripture records, it's going to record in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67, a, a, a prophecy of John. But I don't want to go there yet. I don't want you to turn there yet because I want us to sit here for, for just a couple minutes and, and just try to imagine what, um, what it was like to, to be in Zechariah's sandals, his shoes, and, and try to understand what it would have been like uh, for him for some, whatever, you know, nine-ish months, um, not to be able to uh, communicate or talk. And this is, this is interesting to me because Zechariah essentially sits in the discipline of God for nine months. Like the consequences of his unbelief, his inability to speak and to communicate, he experiences on, on a daily basis. And the reason that he has that experience um, is, is because his heart was just full of unbelief. He didn't take God uh, at his word. Discipline uh, can cause us to respond in many different ways. Discipline can cause us to grow bitter and cantankerous and quite honestly just angry. Or uh, discipline can humble us. You've had this experience before. You, you can probably think back to when you were a kid and remember as a time, remember a time as a child when you were disciplined. You, you remember, you know, your dad kind of getting down on your level and having a word with you, maybe raising his voice. Maybe you, you know, you felt the sting of a, of a spank once or twice in your life. And maybe you knew or have known what it felt like to have something 
that you loved, something that was dear to you, precious to you, taken away from you. Maybe you know what it's, what it's like to, to go to your room and think about what you've done. I got to be honest with you, that was always my favorite as a kid. I, you know, the introverts are like, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. I will, I'll, I will go think about what I've done. I'll have some quiet time. It pains me, but I'll do it. But put yourself in, in Zechariah's shoes for a second. Um, I mean, there he was unable to speak for, for nine months. He had a verbal timeout chair for week after week, for month after month. Nine months is a long time not to talk. And nine months is a long time not to be able to express your emotions, uh, to look at people that you love and say, I love you, or to ask someone, how was your day? Uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Uh, n- none of that took place. Um, it's probably hard for you to tell, but I recently lost my voice. It's true, it started on Thursday. and a little talk on Thursday morning, had a wedding on Thursday evening, and I came home and I just, I knew it was going. And I sort of powered through on Friday. On Friday, I talked to a friend and he said, James, I've known you for many years and this is the best your voice has ever sounded. <laughs> We're no longer friends. Uh, it sounds strange, but I woke up on Saturday morning and I thought, man, if I keep talking and just power through, like Sunday's going to be dicey. And so no joke, I made a decision Saturday morning when I woke up. I said, I'm not going to talk today. Like, I'm not going to use my voice. Like, everything, I'm going to either text or I'm going to write notes on my phone. And I did this for really three reasons. Number one, I did it because I didn't have a voice and I really couldn't talk. Uh, Number two, I did it because it reminded me that God has a sense of humor. And I thought, here we are, you know, talking about the story of Zechariah being silenced for nine months. And, uh, and, and I, can't, I can't talk. And I always thought, you know, I read stories about actors and actresses who go to great lengths to get in character for a movie. And I'll be like, this is like the closest I'm ever going to get to that. Like, I'm going to walk in Zechariah's shoes for like 24 hours. And then the third reason is because I'm a, I'm a big a fan of sports. I'm not, I'm not a great athlete, but I've heard stories of guys who don't practice during the week, but they show up and they play in the game. You know, they're like, well, he wasn't in practice all week, but there he is out on the field. And I'm like, that's kind of like me, you know? Saturday, I didn't use my voice, but here I am in the game. I don't know. This is, you know, this is the closest I'll ever get, right? Um... And so I, I woke up in the morning, I made a decision, I said, I'm not going to talk. And so I just, I just started writing people's notes. And so here's, uh, here's a note that I wrote to uh, Amelia. I think it's going to be up on the screen. Um, she, went, she went to a concert with, uh, with her mom on Friday. It was actually, I think, a Christmas gift for me. I didn't get to go. She went. And so I woke up and I saw her in the morning and I said, hi, Amelia. Uh, I can't talk today. I'm resting my voice. How are you? And I think she said, Fine. And I, and I, I'm like, fun? Did you have fun? And I think she said yes. And I said, uh, are you glad that you went? And she said yes. It was a stimulating conversation. <laughs> and then I was like, you, did you miss me? And she smiled and laughed. She never gave me a straight answer. Uh, and then I said, I wish I was there. Right? That was in the morning. I took my car in to, the, to get my oil changed. 
this is me. I, I, just, they, I pulled up and I showed him my phone. No joke. Hi, my name's James Metzger. I have an 11.45 appointment. I need a basic oil change and my tire pressure light to be checked. And then in parentheses, this was done a couple months ago, but it's back on. It's a little passive aggressive. It's kind of like, hey, this should have been fixed, but it's not. But, you know, I just, you know, he can read into it all he wants. Uh, I lost my voice. Sorry, I'm going to drop off and pick up when it's ready. I came back a couple hours later. Sorry, I lost my voice. My name is James Metzger. I'm here to pick up my 2015 Accord. I'd like the car wash code, please. You know, because I walked into the bank later that day and I said this, remain calm. I need $40 from savings. Put it in the bag, small bills, please. I thought it was funny. I thought, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Listen, I, you know, 24 hours without talking, it just wasn't, it just really wasn't that fun to me. My family might disagree, um, but, it, but it, wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable. And I can't imagine what it would be like to, to go, you know, nine months. And I just started thinking about it, and I thought, man, you know, the, like the discipline of the Lord uh, is not pleasant. It's just, it's just not. And, and because discipline can feel unpleasant at times, uh, it, can, it can lead us to, to become cantankerous. Uh, it can create kind of this low-grade, below-the-surface anger uh, in our hearts. When I'm, when I'm talking about discipline, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about getting a cold. I'm not talking about getting sick. I'm talking about the times in life when, when we when we make poor decisions and we're disobedient to God. Like, sin can be defined as anything against God's law and word and thought and in deed. So I'm talking about the times in life when we, we just sort of decide to take matters into our own hands and do our own thing and live life on our own terms. And then, and then we live with the consequences of that. You, I mean, you've been there before. And we've, been, we've all been there before, Right? Where you go, I, I, you know, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. But you just, you do it anyway. And, and then you experience kind of the, the fallout of the fall. You experience uh, discipline. And the thing about discipline and the thing about God's discipline is that God's discipline is actually a, a good thing. It's actually a good thing. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but it's a good thing. Proverbs 12 verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge but whoever hates correction is stupid. I mean, that's pretty blunt. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The author of Hebrews is basically saying, hey, if you're disciplined by God, it's because you're his kid. And if you're not disciplined, it might be because you're not. 
Like the discipline of a loving father is actually a good thing. It says in verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Um, if you're God's kid, if you're his son, his daughter, um, God is going to discipline you. Um, and the reason that he's going to discipline you is because he loves you. He loves you just the way that you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Um, he wants you to change. He wants your heart to be changed. He wants you to reflect his son, Jesus. He wants you to think like Jesus and talk like Jesus and live like Jesus. And so he's not going to let you go your own way um, forever. And so I want us to think for a second about Zechariah. Zechariah is being disciplined by God. His voice has been taken away um, for nine months. And I wonder, like, how will he respond? How will he respond? Do you think that the first thing he will say is, well, it's about time, God. <laughs> it's about time. Do you think he'll say, God, I've walked with you. God, I was righteous. You called me. You called me righteous. You called me godly. And I had one slip up, God. Seriously? One slip up. One moment of unbelief, and this is what I get. Forgive me for not being convinced, God, when an angel showed up and told me in my old age that my old woman, my wife, would have a baby. Miraculously, that's not how he responds. This is how Zechariah responds to the discipline of God in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah responds to the discipline of God with the worship of God. A church family, can I ask you, um, how will you respond when you experience the loving discipline of God? Um, will you grow bitter? Will you get angry? Will you be not very enjoyable to be around? Or will you humble yourself uh, to God and worship him? If you are God's kid, God will discipline you. May his discipline not cause you and may not may it not cause me uh, to grow bitter because God disciplines us for our good uh, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Zechariah responds to the discipline of God with the praise of God. I want us to do the same. And I want to give you three reasons why that's not crazy. Right, they're right here in the text. Three reasons why that's not crazy. It's not crazy to worship God when he disciplines us because God has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. There it is right there. Now, this is significant. I noticed that Zechariah responded in unbelief when the angel visited him and shared with him the news of John's birth. But here, even before Jesus comes, Zechariah speaks as if it is as good as done. 
Like if, you, if you study the grammar, which may sound boring, but he, he has visited, you don't need to know Greek for this, he has visited as, as past tense. It's like it's already happened. Zechariah is, is, experiences the discipline of God and he worships God and he, he speaks as, as if God has already done what he promised to do, even though in, in time and space he hadn't done it yet. Right? And, and, and yet, uh, he spoke as if it was already accomplished. Faith believes that what has not yet happened is as good as done. Faith believes that what has not yet happened is as good as done. He has visited and he has redeemed his people. Uh, the promises of God are sure, um, they are trustworthy, and they are true. Perhaps they haven't all been fully realized here uh, and now, um, but they are, because of God's faithfulness, they are as good as done. It's as if they have already happened. Um, We also notice here from this passage that that Christ has come. He's visited and redeemed his people, which means that God and Christ has come uh, for us. Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God, and he was sent by God. Um, to live here a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. God uh, in Christ was fully man, which means he experienced emotions. He got mad. He wept. He experienced anger. He experienced joy. Jesus was tempted, um, but he was without sin. But he was fully man. But, But he was not totally just like us because he also was fully God. He was deity. This is what Jesus, what got Jesus killed is his claim that he was in fact God. I love Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. And the passage isn't on the screen, but just listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. He's talking about Jesus, and this is what he says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Um, Jesus, the God-man, fully God and fully man, uh, he has come. This is what we celebrate uh, this time of year. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God is not a distant God, um, that, that he is not somewhere detached from the world or from, um, from creation, that he's uninterested in the things that happen in your life and in mine. Scripture says that Jesus has come uh, to be with us. This is what all of Scripture basically looks forward to. All the Old Testament, right? the, the, the prophets, the, the lawgiver, the, the, the judges, they, they all look forward, the kings, they all look forward to the coming of Jesus. Ever since the fall is recorded early in the book of Genesis, there is a promise that there is a seed who will come, who is Jesus. But people, I mean, people waited a long time. At least it seemed like a long time from their perspective. Doesn't it seem like a long time? 
I mean, I, like think about how long it takes you before you start getting a little anxious when you have to wait for something. Like you remember dial-up internet? Good night, man. That did more for my prayer life than anything else in the world. I had no patience for that. That, you know, hearing that phone ring, waiting to get online. Even now, if the site's not up like that, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I don't want to wait for anything. I don't want to wait in line at a store. I don't want to wait in traffic. I just don't, I just, I don't have time for that. And I'm thinking like, like people in scripture, like wait, like generations come and go. Like parents sit down their kids and they're like, oh, he's coming, man. Like he's, like he's coming, the Savior's coming. And they get older and he doesn't come and they die and then the next generation. And this happens time and time and time again. So people get frustrated. Have you, have you ever been uh, waiting in traffic before on a, on a two-lane road? I'm, Melissa and I live off of 73, and whenever they have uh, the Renaissance Festival, which I'm really working hard for them to get rid of and shut down because it's terrible for traffic where I live, there's people, like, they get stuck in traffic, and they realize that, that it's literally going to take a day and a half for them to move a quarter mile. And so you see people doing these impossible 180-degree turns to try to f- turn their car around to move the other direction. And if you're just sitting there, like you can tell who the patient people are and the people who have no patience. Like I'm just sitting in the car and I'm like, there goes another one. Lord, give him patience. Give him patience. Because they're like, I ain't got time for this. I got to get out of here. Just just think about how long the people waited in scripture for the coming of Jesus. But but, But he came. Like Jesus has come. Like we live on the other side of that. We've been promised that he's going to come again. But just, but just think about the perspective that we have that Jesus has already come. The wait, the wait is over. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. He's visited you and he's visited me. He's visited us and he's redeemed his people. Uh, the word visited in the Old Testament is a term that conveys oversight. God's visitation in the Old Testament was the saving deliverance of the Exodus. When, when God showed up, things happened, right? And when Jesus showed up, uh, things happened. Uh, he came uh, to redeem. The, the, the term here, redemption, is this idea of buying back, of God buying back those who are his It's the same idea that we read about in the Old Testament when God rescued the Israelites. In Exodus 6.6, Moses quotes God saying, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and will deliver you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. We don't know exactly what Zechariah had in mind when he saw Jesus as his redemption. Uh, but, but, but certainly there were layers to that word. There are layers to that idea. So Zechariah, after being disciplined from God, responds in the praise of God. And he says, God be praised because he has visited us and he has redeemed us. Number two, praise God because he is our savior. Uh, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Jesus is the horn of salvation. That may sound kind of weird. That sounds kind of weird to me. Typically don't talk like that. Um, In scripture, a horn, 
uh, was used sometimes for a musical instrument. Uh, other times a horn was used uh, to, to store or as a vessel for oil, for people to put oil in. Um, in other times, a horn is used as a sign of, of strength or, or might. It was a deadly weapon that, uh, that a wild ox would, would yield. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is called a horn, but there's a couple places in the Old Testament. Micah 4.13 says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. It has this, like, this idea of like strength and might. 2 Samuel 22.3, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Same idea in Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God, in his defense, his shield is his defense, his shield, and his offense, his, his deadly and powerful uh, weapon. He is the horn of salvation because God uses his power to protect his people. Um, God, through Jesus, came to rescue us. Um, we, needed, we needed a strong and a mighty Savior. We needed a strong and a mighty Savior, and we have one in Jesus. You know, as I was thinking about this this week, I have to admit to you that um, sometimes I'm sometimes I'm I'm surprised and a little taken aback that that the, the reality of this truth um, doesn't uh, stir in me a greater joy. Like to, to know that Jesus is my Savior. Like it's amazing to me at how, how easily that can become just sort of commonplace. Like we talk about it in church. It's a, it's a bullet point in a message. Like it's a chapter in a theology book. It's just something I just you look at the text and well, there it is. Like he's a, he's a mighty Savior. But you ever stop and think about that? I mean, like, just like let it rest into your heart. I mean, Scripture teaches us that we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 2. Listen to his words. Listen to, to Paul's words to the church at Ephesus. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature a children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's kind of our before Jesus. If you were to sum it up, if you were to like, encapsulate it in a verse or two, that, that would describe us. We didn't know God. We didn't love God. We didn't want anything to do with God. Like we were sort of going our own way and we were pretty happy about it. Here's the good news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And that's such beautiful news. I mean, that's really, really good news. 
Zechariah experiences the discipline of God, and he responds with the worship of God um, because Christ has visited and redeemed his people. Um, Christ, Christ has saved us. He saved us. And I, don't, I don't know if you've experienced God's saving work in your life. I don't know if there's ever been in a time when your eyes have been opened to that, where you've gone, yeah, that's, like, that's my story. I pray if you never have, I pray that a day like today would be that day, right? That God through his spirit would break your heart, that you would see your need and that you would come to Jesus. Zechariah continues, praise God uh, because he is faithful to his promises. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke uh, by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Like I love that. As he spoke from his holy prophets uh, from of old. God, God's been telling people um, since the beginning of creation what he was going to do. Like his, his intent wasn't to keep it a secret or keep it close to the vest. Like it, and, and Zechariah is praising God because of the faithfulness of his promises. Because if God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. I don't know, parents, if you remember what it was like when you uh, told your son or daughter that they would have an opportunity to do something fun on a particular day. Maybe, maybe you told them, hey, we're going to get ice cream after school today. And you set it in the morning and your son or daughter comes home at the end of the day and they're so excited. And you come home at the end of your day and you actually remember that you told them you were going to get ice cream. And you're feeling all right and you got, you know, $27 in your pocket, just enough to get a scoop of ice cream <laughs> at any local ice cream joint. And you're like, I think this is a good use of our money. And so you're like, man, pile, pile in the car. Like, we're going we're gonna to go get that ice cream. And, and your, your son or your daughter's like, well, I can't, like, I can't believe that you remembered. I can't believe you remembered. You ever have that experience before? Like, oh, this is so cool. And there's part of you that, that maybe wants to respond, well, like, well, like, yeah. Like, I told you I would. Like, I told you I would. Like, I just said it. I said it this morning. I'm not going to go back on my word. I told you it would happen. I wonder how many times in God's word do we, do we read something and we respond when we see God actually do it and we go, what? God, you actually did it. I can't believe you did it. And God just sits in the heavens and is like, well, yeah, I told you I would. I'm a promise-keeping God. I'm a faithful God. I'm not going to lead you astray. And it's good news for you and for me that God keeps his promises. God has come to us he has sent us Christ. He redeems us and calls us his own. God has raised up our strong and powerful Savior. And we respond to him like, Lord, thank you. Like, I worship you. I give you thanks. My hope and prayer this morning, uh, Christ's point, is that we would respond to the discipline of God uh, with the worship of God because God has visited and redeemed his people. Uh, Christ is our salvation. He is our Savior and God is faithful to his promises. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for, uh, for the truth of your word. Lord, I give you thanks for the, time and the times in life when you love us enough uh, to discipline us, when uh, you don't let us uh, sit in our sin and kind of do our own thing and go our own way. 
that you're a faithful God who chases after us and you love us enough to change us. You don't want us just to stay the way that we are. And, uh, and as painful as that can be, I'm really grateful that you do that. And so we give you thanks today. Lord, we give you thanks that even though we uh, don't deserve it, that you have sent Jesus to come and to, to redeem us. Jesus, we give you thanks that you are our Savior, uh, that you've done the heavy lifting, that a relationship with you is simply by grace through faith. We don't earn our way to you. We don't, we don't accumulate brownie points. Lord, you just, you just know everything about us and you still love us, and so we give you thanks. Lord, we thank you for your true promises. You're not a God who lies. Lord, if you say it, you're gonna do it, and so we give you thanks this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.